in the game of basketball, stars are made. But how do they get to that point? How has the game changed them? And what are they doing today? Welcome to Rebound Radio with your host, Matt Fish of Rebound Magazine. Each week, Matt goes one-on-one with some of the legends of basketball, finds out their inside story, and uncovers stories you've got to hear to believe. Now, here's Matt Fish and Alex Clancy. Hello, welcome to Rebound Radio. This is Matt Fish. Alex Clancy's not here today, and we hope for him to catch up with us soon. I know he took on last week uh, Rebound Radio because I was not in town. I um, headed over uh, to the All-Star Game in New Orleans. I did have a chance, though, to call in and uh, chat with him. And uh, I thought it was a good show, and I was excited to be able to report right there from New Orleans. And what a fantastic time that was. I basically wanted today also to go over kind of my trip, how it went, how this whole NBRPA fit into the NBA weekend. And uh, I'm happy to answer any questions if you'd like to call in at 888-346-9144. Again, that's 888-346-9144. You can also find us at Rebound Talk and find Alex Clancy at, at Clancy's Corner. Check out voiceamerica.com for past shows for Rebound Radio, as well as voiceamerica.tv. We have some great video up there of former NBA players and the like, sharing opportunities for those transitioning from the days of playing until life after. That's really what spurred on Rebound. Rebound was just that, teaching how these athletes can transition from the days of playing until life after. The NBRPA, standing for the National Basketball Retired Players Association, celebrates its 25th anniversary this year doing just that, helping the athlete transition from the days of playing until the days the basketball has stopped bouncing. And I I tell you, as somebody who went through that process, you don't think it's going to happen, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're not playing basketball anymore, so you got to figure out what to do. And um, that's a lot more difficult than one might think. Um, I went through some depression. I went through some issues myself. And I know each and every person, if they're not prepared while they're playing, certainly won't be prepared after they're done playing. So that brings us into, well, my trip down to New Orleans. I wasn't exactly sure of how to time out the flying down there. So of all things, I jumped in my car and drove I wouldn't suggest anybody to drive cross-country that far all by themselves, but uh, I have a little experience in that as I drove back to Iowa recently. And to me, it's not that big a deal. Uh, When I was growing up, I could mow the yard nonstop until I was out of gas. My brother had to go to the bathroom five times. So it's something that I could take care of, and it's something that I did take care of. Jumped on I-10, headed east. Uh, Seemed like I was at Texas in no time. And then a day later, I was still in Texas. I noticed as I drove east that the signs quit telling mile markers, and they just started saying, just keep going. Whew, what a trip that was. But I tell you, I was excited to be able to get over there. I was excited to be able to have wheels to get around because there were so many different events to get to. So here was my goal. As I jumped in my car, I headed east on I-10. Got across Texas because my goal was to get to the Shooting for Peace event 
Now, the Shooting for Peace event is put on by Jerome Williams. Jerome, the junkyard dog who played at Toronto and for the New York Knicks, has a program called Shooting for Peace. And he plays basketball games with former NBA and WNBA players against the police athletic leagues or the police officers of the area, raises awareness, ties in the community, and understand that there needs to be a relationship between the police officers and the community. So in doing so, he raises awareness by putting on these games and having a variety of pretty cool things during the event. And I'll go over a couple of them. Soon as I got there, I was a little late, and I'll tell you why. I was coming across Baton Rouge, and there was a semi-truck that ran into the center median section, uh, decided it was going to blow up and burn up, so we had a barbecue in the middle of everything. So I'm sitting out there outside of Baton Rouge in a parking lot on I-10 for an hour, knowing I am only two hours away from my destination, and you're going to make me late. Well, I was late, but that being said, not too late. So I walked in, and there are sitting Major Jones, the president of the Houston chapter of the National Basketball Retired Players Association, and he played for the Houston Rockets and the Detroit Pistons. Uh, Tom Hoover there, and Tom Hoover is the president of the New York metro area chapter of the National Basketball Retired Players Association. He played for the Knicks, the Hawks, and the Nets. Also, there was Kevin Loader, and Kevin was representing the Houston chapter as well. Kevin played for uh, Kansas City Kings and the San Diego Clippers. And Chu Smith, I don't know if you know much about the Harlem Globetrotters. I know a little, uh, but I'm learning a lot more. And Chu Smith used to play for the Harlem Globetrotters and does a lot of different things now for the Harlem Globetrotters making a difference in the community. So he was there as well. And Dale Ellis. So he's the president of the Atlanta chapter, and he played for teams like the Supersonics, the Bucks, the Spurs, the Nuggets, and the Hornets. We were all sitting there waiting, you know, to hear what, you know, Jerome the Junkyard Dog is heading this thing up. So he's barking, you know, he's barking, ooh, 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 as he does, and brings up six finalists for a poem contest. But it had to have content in there that was talking about shoring up relationships, you know, understanding life as you battle through it, uh, the ups and the downs. And of these six finalists, each received a very nice watch, two pairs of shoes, one from Jerome himself and another one from CP3. Now, uh, Chris Paul, he has his own shoe. Chris couldn't make it to the event, but his dad was there. So his dad was there to represent Chris and be able to hand out these shoes. But in, in this bag, they gave a really nice bag out as well. There were some shooting, like 10 shooting for peace shirts. And they had this really nice watch and shoes. And oh, I'm telling you, it was fantastic to be able to, to give out to these recipients, you know, the six that won and came up and actually said their poems. So each one had the opportunity as Jerome called them up to the stage and, and they all read their poems, and each and every one was just, I mean, these kids are so smart. I was so impressed. But um, the two top poets, poems, poets, were awarded $20,000 to the Alabama State University. So they had two winners winning $20,000 scholarships to go to college, 
And I tell you what, I just can't think of a better event to start off, you know, just showing up at this high school and being able to participate in something that not only gave everyone a good idea of how we need to make sure that the relationship between the police and the community are good, but also these brilliant kids who want to participate and give back and through their words, using these words, these, you know, poetry, <laughs> just stood up there and really, to me, it just gave me a lot of hope for the future of America. You know, I, I was completely impressed. And, and the next step is to take this event out here to the Final Four. So I'm working on that right now as I'm the president of the Phoenix chapter of the National Basketball Retired Players Association. So trying to make a difference and certainly making a difference, we feel, here in the Valley of the Sun, that's going to be one way. So I'm working with Lafayette Fat Lever. Uh, right now and uh, trying to get these events going out here. I uh, talked with Jerome Williams and um, we're really seeing if we can't have not just one, but maybe three events. And they're going to be, and I'll let you know more as it starts to develop. But uh, we want to have three different events where we have students that we are obviously uh, sharing, giving back, but also busing them to the Final Four game. So we're really looking forward to pulling this off. I hope we do. I know our time is short, but I'm working feverishly on that as I just got back from the All-Star game. So I've been pretty, pretty busy, but excited to be able to share that with you today. Moving on, um, you know, after we got done playing for Shooting for Peace, I then hustled Tom Hoover and Mark uh, or uh, Major Jones over to another event. Now, this event... Uh, right away, I mean, kind of, we had to leave one early because they end up playing a basketball game, end up playing against one another at this other event, but we had to go, right? So I left out of there to go over to this other event called The First to Do It, The Life and Times of Earl Lloyd. Now, if you don't know who, who Earl Lloyd is, he was the first African-American to play in the NBA, and in the film, it talked about the color barriers that he had to overcome. As you can imagine, growing up in that time, here's what I find real interesting. The Players Association put this on, though. So we had to reach out before we went down there, make sure that we were on the list to be into this really exclusive party. That's what it was. But you'll be happy to learn that the executive producers are former basketball players also, and the executive producers are Carmelo Anthony. I know that's Alex's favorite player. Carmelo Anthony, Kawhi Leonard, Michael Finley, and Tony Parker were the executive producers of The First to Do It, The Life and Times of Earl Lloyd. And after that, there was a player discussion that was put on by the Players Association that invited guests to come in and be a part of that. Well... The executive producers were there. Um, Earl Lloyd is no longer with us, but his son was there, who also played in the NBA. And he shared uh, some of the times that he remembered being shared with him um, and the other gentlemen with Kawhi Leonard, Camarlo Anthony, and uh, Michael Finley and Tony Parker. We're all talking about why this meant so much to them to go give back, tell the story, share the story of Earl Lloyd, who broke color barriers you know, and being the first African-American to play in the NBA. So I, I just couldn't imagine, you know, the t stuff he went through. Uh, I found this pretty cool, too, that they invited some guests from a high school called McDonough 35. So McDonough 35 High School was the first public school in Louisiana to have African-American students attend. So they brought them in because it was the 100th 
anniversary of that high school. So it just seemed to line up perfectly with the 25th anniversary of the NBRPA, with the first to do with the lifetimes of Earl Lloyd, the 100th anniversary of McDonnell 35 School, and have Anthony and Leonard and Finley and Parker all executive produce this African-American story, the first person to play in the NBA. And I tell you, I've met the guy before he passed away, and he was a gentleman. He was somebody who knew he made a difference and was happy to share that difference was being made. was not an easy one but one that had to be done. So after we left out of there, uh, that was it. I mean, I was pretty beat by then, as you can imagine, driving cross-country. So I myself, you know, sadly laid it down at an early hour because I had to be up the next morning bright and early to run the Legends Lounge. And let me share what that is. So the NBA Legends Lounge is where the members of the NBRPA register and they pick up the tickets for the All-Star Weekend. But in there are booths and there's a variety of different booths that are in there to help the former player in a variety of different um, transitional aspirations. So as we go in there, there goes anything from the NBA uh, Founders Organization. Now, now, the NBA Founders, if you played three years in the NBA, you qualify for money from the NBA to help you in transition. And it's a grant, so you don't have to pay it back. So that was an example of one booth. Another booth would be EarQ. Now, EarQ's been there for a while, and EarQ tested our hearing, so everyone had a chance that wanted to have their ears checked to go back and make sure that their ears are working great. If not, then they provided hearing aids at a reduced price. So that was another benefit. Uh, as, as I walked around, there was a company called um, Backyard Schools, and that went back to the day when you were in high school, and they run fundraisers but they sell your jersey, very, very well-made jerseys of you in high school. So it would be a high school jersey. And I thought that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of an interesting way to go about it. But it had a give back behind it. And uh, that, that, so I enjoyed it. thought that that was really quite cool. You know, the, the uh, Legends Lounge went fine. People came and went. You know, they had a chance to fraternize. They had a chance to uh, talk shop you know, about days playing against one another and just what they've been up to since the last time they saw one another. And, you know, there were many people there that had not uh, attended the NBA All-Star game before, nor the Legends Lounge. So a lot of those were, hey, how you been? It's been a while type of conversations. Guys would uh, sit around and they would um, drink their Gatorade <laughs> and sit on the couches and literally lounge um, but that comes to rebound, and I always have a booth in the Legends Lounge. I always have a booth because Rebound magazine that I brought six years ago to the day, so it was my anniversary of, of Rebound, six years, to, as a resource. So I really created Rebound as a way to promote former NBA players, uh, Rebound magazine, as well as Rebound Radio and Rebound TV. But Rebound Magazine, I have my booth there. So, you know, how can I help these athletes further? So I got to thinking it would be great to have a sponsor of Rebound Magazine, of a product that could help former professional athletes. And I'm trying to, and I just brainstormed it and brainstormed it and came up with and had long discussions with a company called Isodiol. So Isodiol came out with a product called ISO Sports. So ISO Sport has these products 
that are endorsed by Marvin Washington. Now, if you don't know Marvin Washington, he played 11 years in the NFL and uh, saw a lot of his fellow NFL players suffer from uh, a variety of injuries, including head trauma. And so he's gotten behind CBDs. CBDs are the, from the cannabis plant that are not psychotropic, but and they have no THC, but they have all of these healing opportunities. So they had a lotion for, it was almost like liquid aspirin. You could put on whatever hurts you, that would go away. There were supplements you could take orally. There were sprays. There were mists. There were sublinguals, put you under your tongue. There were um, a water. He had a hydrate water. So he had a lot of these different products that keep you off of opiates, keep you off of all these other pharmaceuticals that are terrible for you and gives you a natural choice on pain management, on trauma to your brain, on recovery uh, from athletic events, on a variety of different things. So to me, you know, after using their products and, they, and, and I'm sitting here kind of endorsing them, well, they were my sponsor and I really had to do my due diligence before I went in there. And I did that. You know, I made sure that they were a company that uh, has a nice uh, a product and is certainly making that difference in which I'm always trying to make. And so I thank Isodiol. I will have them on the show in the up and coming weeks so they can tell a little more about their product and what it is that they uh, are trying to do and are doing um, through a process of, of, of bringing this product to the former professional athlete. So that was my sponsor. There were other sponsors there as well. Um, I won't go into them right now, but that all being said, it was very, very well ran. Uh, the booth itself that I had was very well put together, let alone the entire lounge. And Scott Rochelle, who, who runs our NBRPA, uh, as far as the general counsel and he's VP, uh, that's his lounge, uh, according to him. And um, we are in there making sure that uh, uh, a difference is being made and the lounge ran well. And I got to say, after I've been doing this for six years, you know, that lounge has run just as good as the, as better than the first one was. So that's the Legends Lounge. And uh, I was in there for quite a bit of the day and really couldn't wait to go to the next event. And uh, the next event, I'll have a chance to tell you here, is called the Legends Welcome reception. So leaving there, and there was other events, but these are the ones that I could make it to so I can report on them firsthand, being there, seeing it, seeing all that was going on. So we went over to Harris Casino, which is right next door to the Doubletree, which we were staying. The Doubletree was the hotel that was given to us from the NBA to the NBRPA. Now what's interesting is we got that hotel as a second hotel because the first hotel wouldn't serve our needs. And the reason why there was some hotel hopping was because they were going to have the NBA All-Star Game in North Carolina until they didn't change the laws of transgender restrooms being used. So the NBA punished North Carolina for not changing these rules and awarded it to New Orleans. Now, New Orleans happily took this on because it meant of course, a lot of money to the city and a lot of athletes uh, you know, playing at the height of their careers, the height of their uh, level, all during the first week of Mardi Gras. So as you can imagine, it was a complete nuthouse down in uh, New Orleans, but one where um, 
I got to say, I had a blast and I took it all in. I've never been down there before. If anyone wants to call in, it's 888-346-9144 to talk about some of the stuff that I um, witnessed while I was out there. Again, that's 888-346-9144. Don't forget voiceamerica.com, voiceamerica.tv. Check those out as well. Uh, we're today talking about the NBA All-Star Game in New Orleans, in which was just t- had just taken place this last weekend, about my trip over there, being the president of the NBRPA, and having Rebound. Having Rebound magazine mailed out to all the members as well as there at the event and all the different events I had Rebound handed out to, uh, including the National Basketball Women's Association. Now, this is a group that uh, used to be called... Uh, Behind the Bench, but now they've rebranded it, and it's uh, the NB Wives, so the Wives Association. And uh, so the NBWA uh, had an event, a luncheon, and they wanted Rebound to go into the bags and so forth because it tells so much about what the NBRPA does and also clues into what they do. So, you know, last I heard, uh, the, that event went well, well, really well. I couldn't make it to that. But I heard that uh, they had a lot of uh, people show up. They had a really nice luncheon. And um, I can't uh, report any more on that. Just I heard that it went really well. So that being said, we're over at now the Legends Welcome Reception. Well, held at Harris Casino, they took care of all the food and beverages. And, and you know, I tell you, that takes it easy on the pocketbook, too, when, when they step up and sponsor uh, this 25-year anniversary for the Welcome Reception. So what it is is the legends of basketball, all of their sponsors and all of their significant others and guests and so forth are allowed to go to this event. Now, this event is a lot of fun. What we, do, what we did this time was, and, and I'll tell you, I wrote down the lineup because I couldn't believe who I was sitting there watching on stage. Uh, f- first of all, I walk in, and, and one of the guys says, hey, Charles Barkley's over here playing blackjack. Do you know Charles? And I, I'm, you know, I have ran across Charles several times, and I know Charles. Sure. So I go in and you know, talk with Charles a little bit, and he was you know, bigger than the room. You know how he is. His personality is so huge. And I just saw him sit there and watch a few thousand dollars in blackjack, and I, <laughs> I had to walk out because I haven't got never have had the kind of money where he he rifles through. But firsthand, I, I'm here to tell you, I witnessed old Charles uh, uh, losing a couple bucks. And so at that point, I thought, well, maybe maybe I was bad luck. And I just kind of needed to just maybe slip out the room after my big, hey, what's up, Chuck? Um, so after I left Charles, we went over to the get-together. And we went in there, and they're serving, you know, hors d'oeuvres and drinks and, and, and uh, have a step and repeat. Now, a step and repeat is where you take pictures with logos, and, you know, they had the logo of the 25th anniversary. They changed that for this year, and then they had the, the Harris logo as well and the NBRPA and, and Rebound logo was out there too. So everyone was taking pictures, and then they all went into the next room. Now, the next room has the stage just set up beautifully, and they start talking about the NBRPA and how it came about. So this being the 25th anniversary of the NBRPA, they wanted to honor those who founded the NBRPA. And uh, on the front cover of Rebound Magazine is a picture of the founders when they played and how they look today. 
So I'm very proud of my uh, uh, cover of Rebound Magazine, and it looks fantastic. It's got the logo of the um, All-Star game down there in New Orleans. So I'm sticking my chest out a little bit right now because uh, I thought that the, the cover was really good. But let me just run down the lineup um, that was on stage. So Nancy Lieberman, who's one of the arguably one of the top five uh, well-known women basketball players in the world, um, Rick Barry was also on the stage, and Dr. J, so Julia Serving, were the three people that were up there on stage, and they're all in the Hall of Fame, who were bringing up the others to the stage to learn their story of how the NBRPA came about. Now, here are the others that came up on stage. Big Red, his name is Dave Cowens. Dave Cowens, Dave Bing. Now, Dave Bing was the mayor of Detroit, so Dave Bing, Archie Clark, Archie Clark and Dave DeBusher. Dave DeBusher is no longer with us, but his son was there to, to, be, to honor him. And so um, I'm trying to think his name. I believe it's Kevin, Kevin DeBusher. And then one last person, I can't forget, the big O, Oscar Robertson. So I'm sitting here admiring the stage. And they go down this whole path of, why why the NBRPA and, and how did it come about and and you know how has it changed over the years and so they basically just told the story of the brainstorm and how they got together and quite a few of these guys played for the Pistons so they were all kind of Detroit Pistons players uh, and and kind of some were over with New York too but you know they these people all had a tie in together and they all had the same idea we need we need a fraternity. We need, we need to look out for ourselves. Yeah, we really do. And that was the whole approach is how can we make sure that when the game is done with us, you know, we're not just done with the game. So the MBRPA was established. Many, many, many years ago, it was an idea. But they finally made it come to fruition in 1992. Interestingly enough, that was the year I was drafted to the Golden State Warriors, and uh, I just think that's, I think that's, I think there's something to that. So I believe in things lining up perfectly. So I, that's why I put my heart and effort into helping other NBA players, partially because of, hey, the year I was drafted was the year that this uh, was incept, you know, the inception of this. So I got to say that I really, really enjoyed that, and I don't think I'm going to talk to anything about today that I didn't enjoy. Maybe the drive over. But uh, that was uh, cool to see all those folks up there sharing what they remember uh, putting the MBRPA together and how much it's grown since then. So, okay, I'm going to move on a little bit from that. So after that, everyone knew Mardi Gras was going on. So I've never been. And Arnie Felko, who's our CEO, was at one time on the city council of New Orleans. Uh, before that, he was with the Saints. So Arnie was already tied into New Orleans very well. Well, he knew the owner of Rubenstein's Clothing, which is a famous balcony and clothing store on the corner of Canal Street, and I think it's one down from Bourbon Street, but it's where the parade turns the corner. So you can see a parade from both ways from this balcony. So here I am on this 91-year-old business called Rubenstein's Clothing on the balcony, during Mardi Gras parade. Now, the only thing that wasn't didn't make that perfect is that it was raining. 
Rain or shine, though, there were people out there that were really in making sure that they had taken Mardi Gras at its fullest. And it, uh, I got to tell you, it was, it was very colorful. And, and, and I'm on this balcony, and there's double-decker buses that are going by that are just colored in all different colors. And, of course, people are in masks. They're wearing their outfits, and they're certainly in the spirit. And they throw out beads. Well, they're called throws. So it's not just beads. It's a variety of different things that they throw to the crowd. And uh, they don't just throw them. They whip them. They've got some good arms. Because if you're not paying attention, you have to catch, I'm telling you, you have to catch these throws in self-defense. They're coming at you as fast as you can throw beads. So I had a photographer up there. He's a good friend of mine. He uh, lives northeast of the Valley of the Sun down here. And he's, uh, he's taking pictures. And he's just... <laughs> He's getting waylaid upside his head and uh, by beads. I never thought beads could weigh so much, um, but uh, I thought that was that was you know unique to catch beads in self-defense. But uh, the the ground, everything, the 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 balcony was just covered and draped in beads, as you could imagine. There was just and not just beads, but there were other things being thrown out there, uh, some that can't even be mentioned on the show here, but. Um, so as that day uh, came to an end, and these, this is just the, really the, you know, just getting there kind of thing, I was tired and, again, laid it down. I laid it down pretty early, and it's not something I'm bragging about. It's something that I'm just reporting, just showing my age here. But uh, Saturday rolls around. First thing, the NBRPA Legends Brunch with Athletes in Action. So it's get there. Let's get there first thing, bright and early. Make sure you got a good seat because it's going to be another fantastic day. First thing they do is have MC Kim Anthony. Now, Kim Anthony, she was an all-American gymnast for UCLA, and she's a speaker and an author. So she was the MC, uh, and, and as well as Chris Bouchard. Now, he's an NBA analyst on Fox Sport 1. He, too, was talking at this all-star breakfast. I don't know if you've heard of Athletes in Action, but it's a group, it's a religious group that goes around the United States, goes around the world, and travels around the world and puts on games, you know, making sure that the game of basketball is also thought of as a way to give thanks, give thanks to the Lord, and teach and preach and share and uh, I'm, I'm happy to say at one time I was involved with uh, Athletes in Action. I had a chance to go over to London and play against the London Towers. And then we went down to Perth, Australia, and played against the Perth Wildcat, uh, Wildcats. So that's a pro team down there in Australia. And it was fantastic. So I knew I'd been a member of it before. I knew how good it had been. So I definitely, last year I went to it in Toronto, so I wanted to go to the one this year. Well, sure enough, the number one draft pick in 1992 was Shaquille O'Neal, and he's there. Bigger than life itself. I tell you, that fella has to walk sideways through doors. Playing ball against him was like playing against an upside-down Christmas tree. What did I do? Hack a shack. Exactly what you had to do. So hack him hard. His hands are so big, that ball looks like an orange in his hands, and he's going to miss the free throw. I counted on that. I made sure that that cat would miss the free throws. Well, in missing those free throws, he certainly didn't miss on this because they had an up-close and personal interview with Shaquille O'Neal. They put him up on the stage and put him on a, a chair or two. 
and uh, had him discussing, you know, his understanding what came first, what's most important in his life, making it through the game of basketball, and giving accolades to, uh, um, you know, all of those who helped him along his way. And, um, and then there was a couple other awards to be given out. Now, the two awards that they gave out at that event, one was called the Jerry Colangelo Award, and one was called the Bobby Jones Award. Now, if you don't know who those people are, then you must be living under a rock. Uh, Jerry Colangelo, obviously right here out of Phoenix, Arizona, where I'm at, where the studio's at right now, and where I'm the president of the MBRPA Phoenix chapter. And old Jerry makes a big, big old difference in the community and in the world through the game of basketball. Well, of course, he's got an award named after him at the All-Star Breakfast for Athletes in Action. And uh, the person who received that award, Randy Fund. So Jerry Colangelo himself went up there and started talking about Randy Fund. And Randy Fund, he played collegiately at Wheaton College in Illinois. Um, but he turned on interest from UCLA, Indiana, and so forth. But, uh, you know, he, he finished his career at Wheaton as an All-American, and Randy was eighth uh, all-time sk- uh, leading scorer there. So Randy had a nice career just playing the game of basketball. He was first in assists and averaged 25 points a game his senior year. He played for his dad, and he, um, you know, it was a real highlight for his college career. He always felt, anyway. He discussed that while he was up there. And during his time at college, he had a, a job as a laundry boy for the Chicago Bulls and would drive to the stadium to wash the players' jerseys, laying them out before the games. So it's amazing how full circle this comes. His first job out of college was an assistant coach of a high school freshman B team. From there, Fund went to Westmont College as a, as a volunteer coach. And then he went to the Lakers. So Pat Riley's assistant coach for the Lakers, where he won two NBA titles in 87 and 88. And then he coached him for a while. He coached him for two years, from 1992 to 1994. And I remember that pretty well. It's kind of a quick coaching career when it came to the NBA because he continued for Pat Riley for 13 years as the general manage, manager. Down there for the Miami Heat. And that's when I was there. So I went through for the Miami Heat, and Randy Fund was down there as GM under Pat Riley. So, uh, you know, I believe in 06, yeah, I think it was 06 they won a title. So the Miami Heat won an NBA title in 06. So now Randy's got three titles. So not bad for an assistant coach of a high school freshman B team, eh? So I go up to Randy Fund afterwards, and I was hoping he'd remember me. And I go up, and sure enough, he's like, Matt Fish, because I tell you, I was just thinking of you the other day. I've got your jersey hanging in my closet. I'm like, wait, what do you mean my jersey? He's like, well, it's your red jersey when you played for the, you played for the Miami Heat. You know, and let me know if there's anything that I can do for you. You know, just let me know what that is. And I go, Randy... Let me get that jersey. I I just just let's start there, you know. So he gave me his phone number, and I can't wait to make that phone call and ask if Randy, hey Randy, can you send me my jersey when I played for the Heat? That's something that I will cherish forever. So anyway, that that you know, hey, it's cool to see people you know uh, who come from nothing and succeed, and then you know you're honored just to be remembered by them, and they're honored to be remembered themselves. So Randy Fund, that was my story about Randy. He, um, he was honored for the Jerry Colangelo. And then the other name that was honored is Mike James. And I didn't know Mike as well, um, but he got the Bobby Jones Award. 
Now, Bobby Jones played in New York, and Bobby Jones is one of the best players ever. And if I had more in front of me, I could talk to you a, bit, a little bit about what Bobby Jones did. But uh, I guess he was just known for doing everything right and doing everything right on time. I mean, he was a jumper, a leaper, a scorer, a team player. And uh, Bobby Jones told the story. He goes, um, you know, I've always known, been known being an honest man. He goes, and the first few years when I was playing in the NBA, if a, a ball would you know, tip off of me, and, you know, it just, they'd just call, hey, man, the ball goes this way. And then about five or six years into my career, Bobby Jones said that uh, I was kind of like shading the, the, the view of, of, of the referee behind me. So when the ball was tipped out of bounds, the guy came up to me, the referee did, and said, oh, Bobby, did you touch that? And Bobby said, uh, no, I, I didn't. He goes, because I didn't. I didn't touch it. And so they go, okay. And they give us the ball. He goes, literally like a week later, the same referee. And I, same situation. He goes, I blind the, 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 the tip. I don't, the referee can't see. So he, he, and I'm right in front of my coach. This is Bobby Jones talking. Bobby says, I'm right in front of my coach. <laughs> and uh, he comes up to me and he goes, uh, uh, Bobby, yeah. did, did, you, did you touch that one? And I go, yeah, I did. I, I, I did touch that one. And he goes, okay. And he calls the ball for the other team. And the coach is standing there going, no, don't. Don't tell him that. Don't, make him do his job. Make him call the game. So I got a kick out of that story from Bobby Jones. But Mike James won the Bobby Jones Award. So Bobby went up there, told that story, and then brought Mike James up there. Now, Mike James ended up playing overseas for some time during his career. And at the age of 26, came back to the NBA and played 12 years in the NBA. So for someone who went overseas for a long, long time and then to be able to come back, have a nice long career in the NBA and do all the right things. You know, he won a title in uh, 2004 with the Detroit Pistons. So Mike James was, was well honored. And uh, I got to tell you, he's a nice guy. I have never met him before, but I got a chance to go up and talk with him. And um, nice gentleman, really nice gentleman. So after, after um, our big uh, Saturday uh, brunch and, and Athletes in Action kind of calmed down, I headed back over to the Legends Lounge because I had to run my lounge a little more. I had to be over there in front of my booth and making sure that my sponsors are getting, talking to the right people. And, and uh, so I spent a little time over there until 2 o'clock. And this is what happened at 2 o'clock. At 2 o'clock, if you pre-registered for the New Orleans-Louisiana Motorsports Park um, trip to the track, so Legends trip to the track, uh, and I did so. And I know I'm 6'11", and I know I don't fit into these uh, cars very well, uh, but I forced myself. So I get into this, what's called a Nissan GTR GT3. And we're in tandem following one another around this racetrack, which is just outside of New Orleans. Uh, we go over there and they, they bus us out there and there's probably 15 of us out there and I am not the tallest. There's 7'2 that's there and there's 7'1 uh, that's there and a couple seven footers. So I'm, I guess I'm, you know, six, who am I to complain about it? But I, again, I, hey, could you fit into this thing? And so I climb into this Nissan GTR GT3, and I can't fit into it at all. And I go, absolutely. And they're like, uh, well, you know, can you get a helmet on? I'm like, uh, yes. You know, so it's just, 
I didn't care. I was going to make myself fit. So I jump into this car and we start driving in tandem around the track. And they do the first round. I mean, we had a half an hour of teaching us how to drive before we even got into the car. So we're, we're going through class and I'm excited. I'm beside myself. I can't wait to get behind the wheel and just punch it. You know, and, and, and they're teaching us how it drives differently than your car. If you're like, oh, I should ought to. It goes so fast. It ought to. So I get in there and I got the thing up too on the straightaway. And it took me my fourth trip around. But the first one's exploratory. The second one is just kind of trying to get the feel for the car. The third one is you're getting kind of, hey, man, I'm, oh, this is, I could probably do this pretty good. Then the fourth one, I lag back behind just long enough where I can punch it on the straightaway. And I go as fast as I could go in the amount of time I had before slamming into the back of the car in front of me. And uh, I got it up to 130. I have never gone so fast, certainly never driven so fast in my life. And then I turn around and we did the extreme driver. So this is where you try to get yourself into Ferrari. And then of course they don't fit. But then they have a professional driver driving you around the track. And they were going in excess of 200 miles an hour. All that being said, I was juiced. I was jacked. And I have got the bug. So I will be back to the track at some time. One thing we missed out on because we ran out of time, it was so difficult to get around to the town, so we had to make sure that we had enough time to get to where we needed to be. We didn't get to do the go-karts. <laughs> they had go-karts there. And I'll tell you what would have made for good TV. Would have been these seven two cats piling into a go-kart to go and, and battle each other around the track. Uh, I was so disappointed we didn't get to do that, but I did get a nice story. So the story I got uh, from those that owned the track said to me, and let me back up here. Let me say, please call in eight 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 three four six nine one four four. You know, I, I'm I get a kick out of talking about that. You want to talk about the All Star Game? You know, I'm just talking about my experience. You know, eight 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 three four six nine one four four. Uh, again, that's 888-346-9144, Rebound Radio, and uh, voiceamerica.com. And we're telling you a little bit about the All-Star Game uh, in New Orleans. And um, the track trip. Um, they told a story where the New Orleans Saints in the last week of the season come out there and they battle one another. And, of course, there's different weights to these former NFL players and current. Actually, these are current NFL players. So you've got linemen and you've got wide receivers, and they all come in at different weights, you know, 340 all the way down to 180. So what they do is they split the teams up according to weight. So they have, you know, a perfectly weighted team versus a perfectly weighted team, and they battle each other out on these go-karts on the track for it's a wooden coin so or a wooden nickel I guess you would and and this all it represents is is a day off of practice so of course obviously you know when they know they're not going to make the playoffs and so forth that's when practice doesn't mean quite as much but it means enough to I don't want to go to practice today so I just thought that that was a cool story where those Saints would come out there near the end of the season and battle it hard and compete. I mean, compete, he said. They would go at it just to have a day off of practice. And, man, well, I get that. So uh, I, I thought that was a good story. But, uh, okay, at the end of that Saturday, uh, after we left out of there, 
uh, we went back over to, um, we had a Legends oh, viewing party is what they call it. So those, and I ended up going over to the All-Star Game or the Slam Dunk Contest and all that on Saturday, mostly because I went last year and uh, there's no way you can beat last year's dunk contest. It was one of the best ever. So I thought, okay, do I want to go to the dunk contest this year or do I want to put $300 in my pocket and not go to the uh, dunk contest this year? And my whole thought was, well, it can't be any better than last year, and they didn't disappoint. Uh, I understand, and I still haven't watched it all, but it was one of the most disappointing slam dunk contests. And I wanted to get into today about how we can change that. You know, what can we do differently? You know, what, what can we do in order to make sure that this dunk contest and the three-point contest and the skills contest are all more interesting? I don't know what the answer is. I don't. But I think that does leave for debate. And uh, I'm not going to debate myself. Uh, but uh, when I get Alex back here, I get one of these former NBA players, and, and we plan on having more and more NBA players uh, interviewed uh, in upcoming shows and rebound. Uh, certainly want to have that debate. I know, you know what? That was kind of boring. You know, I can miss those dunks. It was funny. We were joking around. I was sitting around with some of the fellows. One guy named Ollie Taylor, and Ollie Taylor played in the NBA. He's, he's older than I am, but he turns to me after someone missed all their dunks and goes, shoot, he got as me down as I did. He got as many dunks in as I did. I can do that good. I was, thought it was so funny because I think he's probably in his late 60s, and I'm thinking, yeah, you guys got about the same score. Uh, um, so we went to this event. It was normally going to be at BB King's, but it got switched around, and we ended up going to a different uh, venue. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to sit there and have these great big TVs, but this uh, music, and they had Anthony Avent. I remember that name. Anthony Avent played for the Lakers for a little bit. He came in there and goes, uh, you know, I, we need to get some music. This is kind of boring. So they cleared all the tables out, and he plugs his phone into the system of the restaurant and starts playing all these old... Motown songs and everyone was up dancing and having a good old time and in the background on the TV is the dunk contest and all that. So, you know, it was so funny that all these former NBA players are at this watch party and not really watching, but they all had a really good time and uh, got fed well and uh, had a few drinks and made sure that they all got home safely uh, to the hotel, the Doubletree, which we stayed at. So that, that was cool. You know, Saturday night was real cool. And then I paired off with a couple buddies and went over to... Um, it's called a French Frenchman Street, and it's an area where there's jazz that's east of French uh, the quarters, so the French quarters. Just east of there is this pocket of uh, these really nice clubs, and we went to a place called the Spotted Cat, and I listened to jazz music until about two in the morning. Had a good time doing that uh, with some other friends that I had met and had known, uh, so that was great. But I had to be up early the next morning. I had to be up early the next morning because one of the biggest events that I love at All-Star and go to it every year is called the All-Star Brunch. And the All-Star Brunch was started many years ago by the NBRPA and then was kind of taken over by the NBA. And so now they've, they've welcomed back in the NBRPA since we had originally uh, thought of the idea. And this uh, event is televised on NBA TV. And it's so professionally done. The All-Star Brunch basically was is great food. 
uh, I don't know how many people are there. Last year, there was like 4,000 people there at this lunch. This year, I think they scaled it back a little, but everyone's in there just dressed to the tees, you know, on a Sunday morning after they went to chapel, and they all got their suits on, and they, some of them got hats on, and talk about looking good. So we all go to this nice event, and the all-star brunch starts. Well, they bring out Anthony Anderson. I don't know if you know that name, but Anthony Anderson is that fella on Blackish. So he was the comedian, the MC, hilarious, funny, funny, funny. Starts everyone out by welcoming there uh, to the to the brunch and all the people that they're going to be honored that day. So he brings in Ernie Johnson Jr. So Ernie Johnson's on TNT every year, reads a poem, and in that poem talks about you know the NBA players, the ones that are going to be honored, the place where it's going to be. I don't know who writes it for him, whose writer is, or if he writes it himself. But every year, it's just, I recorded it on my phone. If I had a good audio, I'd pull it up for you and play for you. But it was just fantastic. And maybe I can still do that. But, uh, you know, Ernie Johnson just knocked it out of the park with uh, his poem again. And then he brought up um, Alvin or Adam Silver. So Adam Silver is the commissioner of the NBA. Adam Silver welcomed everyone there. And then they brought up the coach, Alvin Gentry. So Alvin Gentry, I know that name well because he coached for the Phoenix Suns right here in Phoenix. Sure enough, he's walking across the, uh, um, not lobby, but the place where we're eating. And I look up, and there's Alvin. I reach out, and I grab his hand, like, Alvin, how's it going? And I, I got to say, I forgot or didn't know that he coached for the Pelicans. And then he comes up on stage, and he starts talking about, you know, hey, it's an honor to have all these uh, former NBA players in here at the you know, brunch and you know, NBA TV and, and on and on. So um, Alvin Gentry, uh, good guy, uh, <coughs> welcomed up, <coughs> excuse me, David Robinson and Grant Hill. So David Robinson and Grant Hill, excuse me, take a sip. Both came up and made a difference uh, in the community. And David has forever and ever and ever. Now, David's just a little bit older than me. But as we all know, David had an unbelievable career and then passed it on to uh, you know, the next center. And we all know the next center, Tim Duncan, down there for the Spurs. But David Robinson was talking about how he's educating and giving back and making sure you know, the variety of ways that he's given back. Uh, uh, are, are, he don't even care about being noticed, but we were all noticing for him. Hey, man, thank you for all the education that you do over the year. And that all this footage of him giving back over the years. And so David Robinson was stood up there, said all the right things, uh, as it should be. And, and, and the next person was somebody that I had a chance to play with in my NBA career, Grant Hill. Now, I was on the Detroit Pistons with Grant Hill. And my story with Grant Hill goes like this. I'm there trying to make the team. And the coach, oh, I'm going to draw a blank on his name. Um, the coach made me run the length of the court 10 times. So back and forth 10 times. But I had to do it three times, 10 up and backs in a certain amount of time. Well, I got the first two done. So the first two I got in that amount of time. Well, my third time I had to run it, I didn't make it, so I had to run it again. And by then, you're totally tired, totally wiped out. You're not going to make it. So I had to run it again. And uh, the coach turns to Grant Hill because he was the captain of the team and says, Grant, if you make this free throw, Fish doesn't have to run another 10 up and backs. And I'm just going, make it, make it, Grant, make it. 
Well, he swished it. And I went up and gave him a big old hug. And after he got his award at the Legends brunch, the All-Star brunch, I came up afterwards and thanked him, not for only all the good that he's done throughout his life, but for letting me not have to run that final 10 up and backs because I don't think I'd have gotten it done. So that All-Star brunch went fantastic. The All-Star brunch went off without a hitch. Everything, you know, everyone had a good time. Then after that, everyone shuffled back to the Doubletree. So they're trying to gather the thoughts on, hey, here comes the All-Star game. So everyone's getting prepared to go to the All-Star game. I didn't go. I got to say, it doesn't impress me. An exhibition game of All-Star is just that. It's an exhibition game. I like the idea of having an All-Star game, an event to honor the game of basketball. But if we're talking about basketball, I'm not wanting to go see an exhibition. I also want $500 in my pocket. So, as it turned out, a buddy I knew 25 years ago named Tom Shute was a drummer back at the University of Iowa when my best friend was going to the University of Iowa. And he introduced me to Tom. And Tom was one of the most engaging, you know, musically inclined, cool cats I've ever met. And I just had a connection with him. Tom Shute, this is a shout out to you. Uh, Tom, congratulations on all your success down there. This is what Tom did. So Tom takes his talent, this drumming talent that he has, and he goes down to New Orleans 16 years ago and starts playing in bands, just goes around from gig to gig, and he's good at what he does. So quickly caught on and um, is down there now, uh, going from gig to gig to gig. Well, I connected with him on Facebook a few months ago and was thinking, if I ever get to New Orleans, well, there we are. So I reach out to him, and he's like, um, I wish I saw this message yesterday. I played in four gigs since uh, Thursday. You could have been to him, but I'll tell you what. I'm playing in a gig tonight on the Creole Queen dinner cruise. So I'm playing jazz on this paddle boat that's going to go out into the water, you know, uh, down there in New Orleans to the Mississippi, take a couple laps, feed you well, and bring you back. But after that, I'm going to go over to Frenchman Street. I'm going to play at a place called the Apple Barrel. Fish, you're more than welcome to come with. So I'm thinking, Tommy, shoot, man, let's do this. So I go catch up to him, enjoy great food, enjoy a great tour on this paddle boat, and um, circle back in. Uh, him and I touch base. He's like, "Come, I'll come get you in my car, and we'll go over to the Apple Barrel, Frenchman Street. So I go over there, closed the bar, four in the morning, struggling. I was tired. This was my night to get sleep because I got a 23-hour drive back to Phoenix. Didn't get that sleep that I needed. <laughs> Woke up, uh, well, a few hours later, <laughs> tired, beat, ready to see how far I can get, pile my rear end into the car and get from New Orleans to San Antonio, from San Antonio to Phoenix, safely back home here to share my story with you. NBA All-Star, New Orleans. Thanks so much for listening to Rebound Radio. Don't forget, at Rebound Talk, talk to me, at Clancy Quarter, uh, Corner, talk to Alex Clancy, voiceamerica.com and voiceamerica.tv. Thank you so much, and we're going to take it out for Rebound Radio. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.
come out. Thanks for tuning in to Rebound Radio. Please join Matt Fish next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll profile another legend of basketball. Have a great week.